Was it the job I expected? Oh, sorry, it's the beginning of the day. I don't know if you guys can hear that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is going to be the cold <laughs> open right now. <laughs> Feel like I'm right there with you. The views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Hey there, C41A listeners. Greg Taylor here announcing a special series of episodes. We wanted to spend some time with our fellow MSC officers out in the Air Force world, especially those that have unique deployment experiences, and learn how their time downrange helped them grow as an administrator and as a leader for their future jobs. So, we sat down with these MSCs and got their stories, and we think you'll enjoy getting to know a bit about the people we serve with. If what you hear provides you with a moment of inspiration or makes you curious to learn more, we encourage you to reach out to the people interviewed or to us here at C41A.com and ask a question or let us know your thoughts on these stories. And now, on with the show. All right, hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of the C41A podcast, the special episode series where we are interviewing our deployed MSCs or recently deployed MSCs and hearing some of their stories. So with us today is Major Rachel Jackson. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, good morning. Thank you for inviting me on to this. So my name is Major Rachel Jackson. I am currently dual hatting as the SGA and the CSCC and TUMP flight commander here at Kadena Air Base, Japan. My experience within the MSC realm includes MTF tours and RMO, TOPA, readiness, and then I've also worked at DHA, working J6 in IT, and J11, which was the TIMO and the first iteration of the DHA market stand-up, before going on to work at AFMRA up at Fort Detrick, working contingency logistics. I've been in about 11 years, and this is my sixth duty station here in Japan, and I've been here about 11 months. Awesome. It sounds like you got a good uh, variety of experience at multiple levels. For those people who aren't logistically inclined, could you tell us a little bit about what a CSDC is? So CSDC is the Consolidated Storage and Distribution Center. And AFMRA came out with the CSDC concept a few years ago. And some of the larger accounts in the MTFs for logistics have become CSDCs. It's more of a regional hub for storage and distribution for medical supplies, but also for WRM. Okay. And then the TLAM is the theater lead for medical logistics, right? The TLAM is the theater lead agent for medical material. And then the P at the end is for Pacific. So we are the Indo-PACOM TLAM along with USAMCK. They sit in Korea. There are six total TLAMs across the world, and they are joint service. We are one of two Air Force TLAMs, and we act as a large regional hub for the combatant command for Class 8 supplies. So did your experience in working at AFMRA help to prepare you for the role that you have now at the CSDC and TLAM? Absolutely. I rallied for this job. I foot stomped for this job for quite a few months before I was granted the opportunity to come over here. I really wanted to run a TLAM after working with the different TLAMs 
during my job at Fort Detrick, but then also working very closely with USOPC SWA, the TLAM for CENTCOM while I was deployed. So when you deployed, what was your deployed position and what what was the time frame for your deployment? I deployed from October of 2020 until April of 2021. And I deployed as the chief of theater medlog for Combined Joint Task Force Operation Inherent Resolve. So I sat at the headquarters staff level on the SG staff with a headquarters staff of about 500 people. And our AOR was Iraq, Syria, and part of Jordan. So the time frame that you were deployed, you were deployed for, during a very unique time frame. And there was a lot of stuff that was going on for COVID. Was there any challenges that, that you faced during your deployment uh, because of COVID that maybe were unique to, to the time that you were there? Absolutely. When I got there, the PPE issue had, had all but been solved. So there was quite a lot of, of PPE issues of getting the correct kind of PPE into the AOR. That seemed to be flowing really well. The main issue that I had that we had to work through while I was there was COVID vaccine. So we were the first folks to bring COVID vaccine in to Iraq and Syria for both U.S. and coalition forces. That was a very interesting challenge. We have transportation challenges, we have cold chain challenges, we have customs challenges, and we were able to go through and use contacts that I had both at AFMRA, as well as the relationships I had built at CENTCOM and USAMC SWA during the first few months of my deployment to put together a distribution plan. And our challenge with the COVID vaccine was very unique. Um, Our first vaccine that we had to distribute was Moderna. So we did have a cold chain freezer issue. We had initial distribution we had to work through, and then we had forward distribution that we had to work through. So initial distribution for us was getting the vaccine from the states and then from USAMCE or USAMCE-SWA into the main operating bases via fixed-wing aircraft. So that was the first part or the initial distribution And then just given our AOR and how many forward locations we had that did not have the ability to support fixed-wing aircraft, and the fact that we worked in an AOR that ground transportation was not safe most of the time, we had to do forward distribution via rotary wing. And that presented a very unique challenge that no one else seemed to have had up until that point, because the vaccine, once it starts to thaw, it was not stable enough to travel in a helo because the vibration would destabilize the vaccine and would kill the vaccine. So we had to make sure every time we moved it forward that it was okay and it was still frozen. So it would come in these special coolers from USAMCE SWA and USAMCE with a handful of temp tails in them. And then every stop, we had to quickly open the container, pull a temp tail out, make sure it was okay before we could put it back on the next rotary wing aircraft and send it off. So I had a group of army medloggies that worked kind of like a small TLAM forward. And they took these coolers and they flew around the AOR and threw COVID vaccine out of the back of it. And it was a really cool opportunity, something I'm very proud of. And we were the first to bring the COVID vaccine in across Iraq and Syria. Thank you very much for sharing that experience. That is a very unique experience and really just awesome to, to hear you talk about. And really, I, th- I think it highlights as MSEs really what we're expected to do, I think, in some of these deployed environments and even at home sometimes just about being flexible and being able to solve problems and challenges 
uh, that maybe nobody has seen yet up to that point. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. That was a really great story. Rachel, so there was a post-nation demand too, because I imagine that's the first vaccine that was even entering into the country by that point, since the U.S. was kind of near the front edge on vaccine distribution at that point. Yes. So that was the main customs issue that we had when it arrived. The first iteration of this in an effort to, I believe, save some money, the DOD opted to fly the initial distribution on fixed wing into a commercial airport within the AOR. And when you do that, you are subjected to commercial customs clearance, more so than when you have fly something in on a gray tail onto a military base, even more so than onto the military side of a commercial airport. So we did have some pretty substantial customs issues during the first iteration. We had some folks on the ground that worked with DLA. We had folks from the embassy called in. And that was how we were able to get it released and get it distributed forward that first iteration. It was a big lesson learned. Given the concern that people had for our cold chain issues, we weren't given thousands and thousands of doses to distribute. They were very small batches. And so the second round and the third round, the batches would increase. And we decided not to fly mostly commercial aircraft. The deployed environment and distributing COVID vaccines versus some of the stories that we've heard from vaccine distribution here in the U.S. just add so many more wrinkles into it, not only in getting the vaccine to all those far-flung locations, but also just dealing with those competing priorities and the, you know, the whims of our host nation partners. Let's back up just a, a little bit and talk about your pre-deployment time frame you know, when you got tasked for this assignment, what did you know going in? You know, how did you prepare yourself for your role? So I was lucky with my deployment in that it had become kind of a rotational deployment for some of the positions that I worked with at AFRA and Fort Detrick. So two rotations before me was another MSC I worked with. And then the rotation right before me was an MSC I worked with even within my same branch. And so I had a bit of a sneak peek that most people probably don't get before they deploy in that I worked with these people on a daily basis before they left. And then I was able to kind of talk with them through their deployment to see what was going on. So I had a bit of a cheat sheet and that helped me out to where I, I started to understand what I was getting myself into. The biggest thing that helped me to prepare was knowing that I had to work a lot with the Army and knowing that I had to work a lot with coalition forces. So I wasn't walking into an Air Force-type deployment. I was the only Air Force person on the SG staff once I deployed. And so starting to learn more Army lingo and understand the coalition structure, that was all part of pre-deployment training as well. So I went to Fieldcraft Hostel because I was deploying into CENTCOM and then they did put me through the Joint Task Force Staff Basic course, which is a course that teaches you how to work on a headquarters staff while you're deployed. So what meetings look like, what battle rhythm looks like, how to route things to the general. It seems very basic administrivia MSC type training, but it did help a lot once I arrived. You mentioned uh, some of that pre-deployment training, especially because you worked in a staff position in a deployment. Do you have any advice or any suggestion for those out there who are getting ready to deploy in 
how they get exposed to some of those experiences, maybe not the courses themselves, but maybe talking to the right people, coalition or joint service. Any any advice there? I think the biggest thing going in is to just realize that while the Air Force brings a lot to the table, we don't win the war by ourselves. The real contingency world is very joint in nature, and sometimes joint is spelled A-R-M-Y. <laughs> so it's very important to understand first off if you are going to be working with the Army. And if you are going to be working with the Army, go find yourself an Army friend and learn some of their lingo, especially for the specialty that you're going to be working in while you're deployed. So for me, working logistics, I had another in because the job I had at AFMRA, I already worked with the Army. That was part of my job. Working at DHA, I had worked with the Army. If you don't have that kind of opportunity before you deploy and you know that you're walking into this joint service structure, the best thing to do is is reach forward. You'll have a sponsor when you deploy. It'll be probably the person you're replacing. So maybe they'll be Air Force or maybe they won't, but reach forward and talk to whoever your sponsor is and see what they recommend as far as some pre-deployment training or learning what to expect. That's great advice. So again, uh, Major Jackson, thanks for joining us on the show and shout out to Chief Jarvis, a longtime listener for us, that she got connected us and got us, got us, got you on the show here to give us her stories. She was actually really looking forward to all your stories because she said you had the best stories. So to go along with that, you know, your deployment experience seems very unique and had a lot of different aspects to it that maybe a normal deployment wouldn't have. So uh, can you describe any of the challenges that you faced once you were in place and was the job ex- what you expected it to be? So I think my biggest challenge, so I was deployed on a base of about 10,000 people. And I believe maybe 1,000 of them were Air Force and the rest were Army. And so my life deployed was like being in the Army. And so you learn to work with the Army. The Army is very different than the Air Force. You learn to work with the Army. You learn to appreciate the differences. It's also kind of funny to walk around with the Army all the time. They're very structured. They're very organized. And the Air Force kind of rolls in and, you know, we might have our reflective belt on at the right time of the day. It might be the wrong color based upon our rank or something of that along those lines. And we're not marching around together and we're not running in formation and we might not tuck our shirt in the right way. So especially now that we're deployed and we all wear the same uniform and it's hard to tell us apart, the Army will kind of roll up on you every once in a while. And the Army rolls deep no matter what they do, even if it's just going to lunch. So everywhere you go, if you find one Air Force person, you'll probably find four or five Army people when you're deployed with the Army. And they're able to do that because they have the numbers to do that. That is one of the challenges that I noticed is, and I've, I've again, I've worked with the Army before in different assignments, but because they have so many numbers, the Army, they're specialists. So for every one job you have in the Air Force, the Army will take that one job and they'll divide it into three or four pieces. And then they'll be able to assign three or four people to work one of those pieces. So when you come in as an MSC and you work with the Army, your footing is a little off because when you talk to an Army MSC or an Army enlisted person, they're very knowledgeable in their one mission set. They have a more narrow scope than we do. They're not generalists like we are, but they know every last thing about their job. It can be a little disconcerting because as an MSC, you want to come in and you want to know what you're talking about. But we're, by trade, mostly generalists. 
And so when you come in and you work with the Army, they know everything about their specialty match. They have a narrower scope than we do, but they know every last thing about it. So that can be a challenge sometimes. They're ready to call you out. They're ready to see if they can tip you over a little bit with the amount of knowledge that they have. But working with them, they really know what they're talking about for their job that they have. But understanding how the Army works, both how they specialize, both in logistics, but then also organizationally as well. That was an initial challenge for me. The Army is really big on org structure and rank. And they want to talk to someone of equal rank. They don't want to talk to perhaps the subject matter expert who might be a junior enlisted. They want to talk to someone of equal rank. The other challenge I had was working in a coalition environment. And when you work, so for CJTF OIR, our two-star Army general reported directly to the CENTCOM combatant commander. So we didn't report to the Army. We didn't report to the Navy or the Air Force or anyone else. We reported directly to the combatant commander. Within the structure, you have multiple bosses. And so that was something interesting to learn. And we had coalition forces. We had joint U.S. forces. Across the headquarters staff, we had about 20 different countries represented. So we all had multiple reporting structures. I had to report back to the Air Force for administrative issues. So making sure I had to get an OPR done or an LOE done while I was there. So making sure all of the administrative things were done, I had to report back to the Air Force. But then during the day when I went to work, I reported to the deputy SG, who was an 05 from the Royal Air Force, and he was Scottish. And then we had everyone rolled up under a two-star Army general, and then that Army general rolled up to to CENTCOM. So learning the different coalition reporting structures, learning when I had to go talk to the Air Force versus when I went to talk to my other chain of command, that was definitely a challenge. Uh, Was it the job I expected? Again, I had a bit of a cheat sheet, so I knew mostly what I was getting myself into. However, I didn't expect to have my duties expand the way that they did while I was there. So aside from being the medlog planner for the AOR, I also worked as the headquarter SG Surge 3, So that's the readiness planner for the surgeon staff that was actually on staff where we were. Our other three was forward deployed. So she wasn't in the headquarters staff. She wasn't physically there to be able to be in meetings. So I worked at the headquarters level as the three. And then I also worked from time to time in the joint ops center that we had there with medevac and aerovac for patient movement. So it was a little bit more expansive than I thought the job would be. And I thought, honestly, I would spend a good amount of my time defending my position with the Army as the lone Air Force asset on staff. But I was able to come in. I spoke some Army. I seemed knowledgeable because I faked it till I made it. I asked a few questions when I needed to, and then I held my ground and I was able to gain their respect. So that's really what I uh, what I experienced. I, I definitely wanted to say something in regards to the joint stuff you were mentioning. So having that joint experience, I know that that's what I'm kind of hearing and feeling as we transition to DHA. Our market lead is actually an army base and an army unit. And when we talk about specifically resource management things, you know, they're talking one lingo, I'm talking another lingo, yet we're talking about the same thing. And so I'm starting to also face that challenge of learning that army lingo. So when we communicate about what our capabilities and assets are, we're happy to talk in the same language. Uh, when I said TOPA to them, they're like, we don't know what that stands for. 
are like, okay, wait, that's tracking yeah. your operations and patient administration. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, we have pad and we have health plans and that stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. And, you know, and then just recently we're going through some of our org charts for our different sections. And you said it exactly. They're very more specialized in each area that they work. So when you looked at their org chart for pad, it was like 25 people. Yes. Fort Sill where our market lead is a little bigger than us. So they're going to have more people, but they had more people doing one specific section because it just broke it down to a different level. And that had two people doing that specific thing, three people doing that specific thing. Whereas us, we had like one NCO working you know, three of those sections all together. So it's very eye-opening to see how they operate and how their org structure is. And I guess it is kind of comforting that we're trying to learn that now and the CONUS in garrison level. And then maybe if we ever get deployed, we can take that knowledge out there and use it over there. Yeah. So I, I was stationed at Ramstein and I, my first half of my tour, I worked Topa and we had to work with LaunchDuel. Like LaunchDuel was our like Fort Sill. So I would go up for to do like a meet and greet and walk through and learn about Topa at LaunchDuel. And it was just me and my one senior NCO. And we would go up to LaunchDuel the first, the first time we went up there said, you know, where's TRICARE operations? And there was a major in charge of the records room. And then there was a major in charge of referral management. And there was a lieutenant colonel in charge of, I think it was MEBs and something else. But for my one Topa job, they had four MSCs at Longstool who worked those same positions. And yes, Longstool is a <laughs> hospital and Ramstein is a clinic, but we had the same number of enrollees, basically. That's insane. So it was That's very insane. interesting to see. It was, it was super interesting. And it was so funny because the lieutenant colonel who did that one part of, of Topa at Longstool, he refused to speak to me because at the time I was a captain. And so I had the next time I came, I wanted to speak with him about his programs. I had to bring my squadron commander with me, who was a lieutenant. Oh colonel, my gosh! And to her. <laughs> so it's very different, and not they're not all like that, right? So, but it's just expectation management when working with joint service and especially the army. But yeah, it I I feel you on the topa the topa isms. The specialization, the hyper specialization, just remind me a little bit of my one BMET deployment that I had as well. I was working at the at the Air Force Theater Hospital, and the Army, like it is now, was still our our source of supply for everything. And I was going to talk with them, talk with the BMETs that they had over at Usamsi Swa about repair parts. And I had a question about infusion pumps, and I went over there, and there were like 15 people in the shop, and they were all working. And I asked this question about infusion pumps, and they're like, oh, well, that's us. I don't remember his name. Specialist Smith. And he's the infusion pump guy. So it's like, well, does anyone else know anything about this uh, Med System Three that we still use to this day? No, no, no. That's all Smith. He does. Uh, he does all the infusion pumps, and like that was his one piece of equipment that he worked on his entire deployment. You know, whereas in the BMS shop at the Air Force Theater Hospital, it was you know whatever's broken as it comes in. We're just working it on a priority basis, not based on like, well, I don't know how to do suction units. I don't know how to do ventilators. No, so whatever's broken, just work on fixing it. It was really interesting. It was eye-opening at the time, but uh, that's been reinforced since that point. Yeah, that's interesting. So you had hinted before, you talked a little bit before about the vaccine distribution being one of the one of the accomplishments that most stuck with you with your deployment. Uh, do you have any other events or any other thoughts on, on some 
something that you did really that benefited the clinician's ability to do patient care while you were deployed? Any other stories really stick with you since then? I think the other ones that that really stick with me are the ability to increase the access of care, access to care and the level of care at some of the very far forward, very remote locations that we have in our AOR. We, <clears throat> when I got there, there were these locations and they would go weeks and weeks without resupply just because it was so hard to get folks in there and get supplies out of there. So this far forward location had one bad evening with a few casualties, they would be wiped completely until they were able to get resupply. And so that was scary, especially where they were located and the types of interactions they had and the types of casualties that they could see. So what we did was I learned about uh, ring routes with rotary ring aircraft. So they did these ring routes with these helos where they would fly routine missions in different routes, and they unfortunately wouldn't go to these far forward locations very often. Um, and when they did, they were normally pretty full because they were so infrequent at this stop. So I thought, well, if I learn these ring routes, maybe there's you know a chance I can throw a box or two of supplies on here, but that didn't really seem to work because everybody wanted to get on those. So I went one step further. I talked with the commander of the rotary wing aircraft route he worked on the air, on the headquarters staff with me. And what he did say, though, is every once in a while they had training missions that they didn't really tell people about because they were supposed to be spur of the moment and for training purposes for the staff of the helos. And I said, well, hey, are those empty <laughs> or do they have a lot of people on those too? And he said, no, they're normally empty because they're spur of the moment. And so I was able to kind of wiggle my way in there and learn about their training missions and put a few boxes of supplies on these every once in a while. And then that would help to resupply these far forward locations a little bit quicker, especially if they'd sustained some casualties within the few days before. So I think that was one of the really notable things we were able to get done and just kind of thinking outside the box and networking, which I think is the best MSC trait you can bring into a situation like this is networking, talking to people, asking questions, and figuring out who you need to know, but before you need to know them. So we were able to do that. We also started, when I got there, it was really interesting because all of the medical assets throughout the AOR, except for one small location, were all Army or Navy. We had one small Air Force location, and that was it. But even though the rest were mostly Army, the units, the medical units on the ground rarely spoke to each other. And they reported up to the headquarters staff up through my channels. So I would hear about their challenges. I would hear about what was going on, but they didn't speak to each other. And so we started a weekly roundtable meeting where everybody dialed in together and they were able to talk about their successes, their challenges, what they needed help with. And they started solving each other's problems. And we were able to start cross-leveling supplies. We were able to start cross-leveling medical equipment and solve problems in a faster way than them just being in a silo and funneling up to the staff. Those are great examples of how proactive communication can really make a difference in, you know, that warfighting effort and just our day-to-day. -day. I know with resupply, it can be so frustrating because you want to do more, you want to help more than you can, but you have to be a steward or you have to 
hold back supply, especially if you're going to dip into what you would need for like a MassCal type scenario. So I'm sure that that provided some really great relief for those locations. I thought that that was a really great example, actually, your ability to be flexible and, and see that there was an opportunity to get supplies out there. And I think that that's maybe more of a testament to go back to what you said about our ability as Air Force MSCs, our broad experience gives you the mm-hmm. opportunity to sort of look for those things as opposed to just being very extremely specialized and maybe not looking for opportunities like that. So that was really, that was really cool to hear. Yeah, I think actually if you were, you know, sticking an Air Force MSC and sticking the Army with them, I feel like there's probably nothing we can't accomplish <laughs> because the the Air Force side, you're much more general and you have to think outside of the box and be flexible and and not think in a straight line all of the time. And then you have the Army who's the opposite of that. So they truly are these specialists and these subject matter experts, but then they don't generally have the ability to think more fluidly. So if you put the two of us together, I think we could probably win the war. (laughs) So now that you're back home station, has your deployment changed how you approach your job now? I know one of the examples you just mentioned is like being flexible out in the field and finding ways to get the job done, get the mission done. And I know our commanders here at home station try to tell us and encourage us to do CPIs, find efficient ways to do things, or flexibility is the key to air power. But I feel like that's easier done at a deployed site rather than home station. Do you find that to be true? And do you have any other examples? It's absolutely true when you're deployed, especially when you're working in a true contingency situation and there is not a lot of time to make a decision. You have to be able to be flexible and you're able to throw stuff out and try things a lot easier than when you're at home and you have the CPI guru standing over you and it's, you know, step one is this and step two is this. It's no, you're in the middle of a situation where time is of the essence and you have to be able to be flexible. So it is absolutely easier to get things done when you're deployed. And there's a lot more of do it and ask for forgiveness later. And normally there's no need for forgiveness because you were able to get the mission done and quite possibly lives were saved. People, more people were being able to be taken care of. More items were able to be delivered to the patients. The mission moved forward. So there's really normally, at least in my experience, there was less need to ask for forgiveness later, but absolutely it's easier to get things done and be more flexible on the fly when you're deployed. So following your deployment, Have you changed the way that you approach your job based on the experiences that you had? Yes. So I've always been more of an MSC who appreciates the downrange mission, the contingency life. I have a good amount of readiness in my background. My certification is an emergency manager. So I've always been more on that side of the MSC house as far as logistics, readiness, contingency, things like that. Coming back from my deployment, it makes me even more dedicated to those downrange mission sets and to understand how we here at home still play a part in it, even though we're so far away. So we have WRM here, right? We have to make sure that everything is prepped correctly, packed correctly, nothing's expired, everything works. Because when we kick that box out the door and it goes down to these downrange mission sets, I don't want it on my conscience that they're going to open this box and something's not going to work and then patients can't get care. So coming back from deployment and seeing how 
critical it is that the supplies that we get, the WRM sets that we get while we're downrange, how critical they are to actually taking care of patients. It makes me even more dedicated to this side of being an MSC. And it was a really strong reason why I wanted this job at the CSDC and the TLAM. It's made me even more dedicated to that side of the house. It really makes me appreciate medical more and not just clinical medical, but how medical support just in general is so inherently important to success in these different contingency situations. No one thinks about medical, right, until something bad happens. And then all of a sudden, we're the most important thing. And so if we don't have our our act together, it really shows at that point. So it's important to always remember, even though sometimes we feel like redheaded stepchildren (laughs) of the services, it's always important to remember how important we are at very critical moments. One question, one more question, just out of left field. What are you reading right now? Oh my God, I don't have time to read anything. What are you talking about? D happy. Um, <laughs> that that's why she listens to I'm our show, D- so she doesn't have to read anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm reading D happies, and actually, I'm reading Nick T checklist and TJC amps because our UEI comes in a few weeks, and then TJC is expected to come probably October or November. But um, yeah, I haven't, I don't read anything right now other than that stuff. I know it gets, it gets us all from time to time. It does. I actually just finished reading or listening to General Mattis's book, Call Sign Chaos. It was very eye-opening and it was full of really great leadership tidbits on how to treat your people, how to lead your people, and different ways of working together in a joint environment. Well, based on uh, all that you've told us here today, it sounds like that one hit a lot of the same tones in your lived experiences in your career. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. There were a lot of really good leadership takeaways and one-liners in the book. I listened to the book. It was an, an audio book, but there were a lot of good things that he would say, and I've used them a few times. And one of them that I really enjoyed that I still use to this day is his quote that says, operations move at the speed of trust. And if your people trust you and they understand your vision and you lay out your expectations in a very transparent manner, your operation will move more swiftly and smoothly if they trust you. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, Major Jackson, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to spend the last hour with us and just tell us some of your great experiences on what was happening out in the Middle East in 2020, 2021 timeframe and and all the positive impacts that you and your team had on the warfighter out in the AOR that, at that time. Just to wrap up here, wanted to throw it back to you for just any parting words of wisdom or advice for MSCs out there who are getting ready for a deployment or looking to deploy. What would you recommend for them? I think my closing advice would be raise your hand when you hear about opportunities like this especially if you have the opportunity to work in a true joint environment. Deploying with the Air Force into an Air Force deployment, I'm sure, is very rewarding and is a great experience as well. I I don't have an experience to share about deploying fully with the Air Force. But if you ever get the opportunity to raise your hand for something like this, don't hesitate and don't let the fact that, oh, I don't know anything about the Army. I don't know anything about this job. I have never worked on staff, so I'm unsure that I'm going to do a good job. Don't let that sway you. Raise your hand and do this. Go out and try to do this. 
learning about what the Air Force brings to the table, what the Army brings to the table, the Navy, the different coalition forces from across the world. Learning about all of that and sitting in the middle of it is an amazing experience. So if you ever get the opportunity, raise your hand even if you're not sure how you're going to to be able to, to do the job. You'll get training. If you immerse yourself, if you jump in and you know your basic job, and you are able to have a bit of a sense of humor around the Army and and poke back at them when they poke at you for being in the Air Force, they're going to respect you, and it will be a really great opportunity for you. One of the most trusted MSC mentors I have is an Army 06 that I met while I met before I deployed. Um, I worked with him while I was at AFMRA, but he's one of the most go-to mentors that I have, and he happens to be in the Army. So raise your hand, don't hesitate, get out there and see what you can do if you're deployed. Yeah. I just want to say thanks. What, what great, great stories, what great insights, really, truly fantastic. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Same here. Some of the most unique stories I've heard from a deployment. Um, Everyone has something different they have to bring. Uh, In some ways they can be kind of similar, but I think yours is definitely one of the most unique ones that I've heard since I've joined. Yeah, no worries. Thank you again for the invitation. And thanks to Chief Jarvis for throwing my name out there so I can be part of this great opportunity. So thank you guys. Our one huge fan that we have. <laughs> we got to get a t-shirt. We need to get at least a patch <laughs> or something. <laughs> All right. Thank All you guys. Right. Have a good later. night over there. See you guys. See you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. C41A is an independent company and produced by Seat41A Media. Digital media support and creative director, Minoj Rima, marketing and IT, Christopher Foote, and director and outreach, Greg Taylor.